The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 145, a praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak of the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. We're in Deuteronomy 9, it's verses 18 through 29. This is entitled, 40 Days and 40 Nights Before the Lord. Starting in verse 18, And I fell down before the Lord as at the first, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you, but the Lord listened to me at that time also, and the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. Also at Taborah and Masa and Kibrot Hataava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord. Forty days and forty nights I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. While going through our verses today, for those who did not follow the number sermons, or for those who have forgotten what they said, we need to remember the symbolism of the law and those who are under it. And this is not some stretch made up out of someone's head to fit a personal theology. Rather, it is exactly what the Lord is revealing in Scripture. The symbolism of Israel's rejecting entry into Canaan in Numbers 14 is that of their rejecting of Jesus Christ. They were led from Sinai, meaning Mount Horeb, to Kadesh Barnea. Spies were sent in to inspect the land. The spies came back with a bad report, and the people rebelled. The typology was and is clear, that of being presented Christ Jesus. From there, they went into 2,000 years of punishments of the law. Paul indicates this when he describes those under the law in Galatians chapter 4. He says in our text verse today, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free which is the mother of us all. Israel received the law, symbolic of giving birth to bondage. Israel was under that bondage until the time God set forth for the Messiah to come and deliver them from it. Christ Jesus came, they rejected him, and the curses of the law came upon them. However, in his faithfulness to the covenant, he has kept them as a people. His faithfulness is seen to have been established in our verses today. The words are clear, precise, and they are unambiguous. Despite this, we are going to have to go back and forth and back and forth, and then we'll have to go back and forth again throughout the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to really get this. Don't get bogged down in it. It is typed, and it is always there for you to refer to should you forget the layout. For now, sit back and enjoy in an hour what took me an entire tiring day to put together. But it was worth it. Throughout the day, I called out to the Lord again and again, Thank you, Lord. I love your word. It is a joy and a delight to have a sermon typing day set before me, and it is a joy to have the fruits of that to set before you. And so I now present to you this passage. Wonderful things are to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is, but the Lord listened. It's verses 18 through 24. In the previous passage, we ended with these words. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes." Moses now continues with the events, but he leaves out all of the detail concerning what happened at the foot of Sinai after he broke the tablets. That is recorded from Exodus 32, 20 through 30. 
With that context understood, Moses continues with the narrative to this generation, explaining the events that followed, saying, verse 18, and I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. The words, as at the first, could actually refer to either the words, and I fell down before the Lord, or 40 days and 40 nights. Both are true. First, Moses interceded before the Lord in Exodus 32, just before descending the mountain. There it said, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. However, Moses' first time before the Lord was also 40 days and 40 nights. That is recorded in Exodus 24. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. As you can see, the timeline is rather hard to follow. He came down from the mountain, went through the events recorded in Exodus 32, and then went back up the mountain. But even here in Deuteronomy, he will speak of those events while off the mountain in just a couple of verses. The narrative goes back and forth, and it is not always chronological. For now, Moses simply states that a second period of trial and probation is now set before Israel. They had to wait below as Moses ascended a second time to the Lord atop the mountain, and of this time, he says, verse 18 going on, I neither ate bread nor drank water. This is referring to the ascension to receive the second set of tablets. That is specifically recorded in Exodus 34. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. This period of ascension will be the subject of the narrative at the beginning of chapter 10 as well. We won't do that next week. Next week is the Christmas sermon. Verse 18 continues, Because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. The major sin was that of making of the golden calf, but the words kal chachatchem, or all your sin, signifies more than just that. It includes unbelief, idolatry, ingratitude, and so on. Further, the word your is plural. It wasn't just Israel as a nation, but the people individually. They had done ha-ra, or the evil, in the sight of the Lord. Their wickedness was so great that Moses knew he had to intercede for them. As he says, verse 19, for I was afraid. Here, Moses introduces a new word into scripture, yagor, or to be afraid. It is an uncommon word found only five times total. By introducing a new word, though, it is its own stress. Moses truly dreaded what might be the outcome of this matter. Verse 19, of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. 
מפני האף והחמש אשר חצף יהובה אליכם להשמיד אתכם. From face the nose and the hot displeasure which furious Yehovah with you to destroy you. The sentence is full of descriptive language. The idea is that the face of the Lord was burning with rage to the point of shooting forth flames of fury and entirely consuming the people. And yet, verse 19 continues, but the Lord listened to me at that time also. The words gam bapa'am hahiv, or also in the time that, reflect more than just his petition before going down the mountain. They include Moses' intercession for the people when they moaned in Exodus prior to arriving at Sinai, and even his intercessions for them after leaving Sinai. This is certain, because he will refer to the events after leaving Sinai in just a few verses. He's speaking to the people in an after-the-fact manner, reminding them that they have been disobedient moaners and evildoers all along, and he has had to intercede for them again and again. But we cannot allow ourselves to get too far from the typology. Moses is shown to be the mediator of the covenant. As this is so, he is a type of Christ who is the more perfect mediator of the new covenant. If the Lord was willing to forgive the transgressions of Israel because of the mediation of Moses, how much more secure are we in the mediation of the new covenant in Jesus Christ? As Israel, the nation, is a pattern of individual salvation, we can be completely confident in holding to the doctrine of eternal salvation for believers. The Bible teaches nothing less. Verse 20, And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. The words are emphatic. And in Aaron was enraged, Jehovah, greatly to destroy him. This is the last time Moses will use the word anaf or enraged. It is from a primitive root meaning to breathe hard. He used it in verse 9-8. He used this word saying the Lord was enraged at the people for what they did while he was on the mountain receiving the law. Now he singles out Aaron for that same infraction, emphasizing the severity of what he did. Not only had the people seen the display of the Lord at the giving of the Ten Commandments, but Aaron... Aaron's two oldest sons and 70 chosen leaders of Israel had gone up and eaten a meal in the presence of the Lord before they had made the golden calf. Aaron not only saw the display of God in the magnificent effects that came with the giving of the law, but he had seen the Lord and dined before his glory. Could he be saved after doing such a thing as trading the glory of the Lord for a worthless idol? Verse 20 continues, so I prayed for Aaron also at that same time. It is wholly apparent, without it being said, that Aaron was singled out by the Lord. He had been with Moses throughout the miracles from the time prior to the Exodus. He had been with Moses throughout all of the miracles since the time of the Exodus. He had been at the foot of the mountain to see the sight and hear the words of law. He had been on the mountain to have a meal in the presence of the Lord. And yet he had led the people into the sin of worshiping the golden calf. He had not just partially, but completely walked away from the faith. His actions were wholly inexcusable and could not be any more exactingly described than those Paul speaks of concerning certain believers. From 1 Timothy 1, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare 
having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, having suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn to not blasphemy. Aaron had suffered a complete shipwreck of the faith, and yet Moses interceded for him, and the Lord responded. Again, if this is what Moses was able to do as a mediator of the law of sin and death, how much more Christ, who is the mediator of the gospel that brings life. Verse 21, then I took your sin, the calf which you had made. The word then is not correct. The Hebrew reads ve'et and should say, and I took your sin. The intercession for Aaron comes later in the chronology, not before. Concerning the words your sin, that is explained by the next words, the calf which you had made. Their sin was a tangible fact that stood before them. Verse 21 continues, and burned it with fire, and crushed it, and ground it very small, until it was as fine as dust. One can feel the anger in Moses' words, and burned it in the fire, and crushed it, grinding thoroughly, until that fine to dust. He was utterly appalled at what they had done, and his actions and his words of memory now were a testimony to the magnitude of the offense. As great as their idol supposedly was, he was determined to turn it into exactly the opposite, utter nothingness. When he could do no more to reduce it in size, he says, verse 21 going on, and I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. The result of this is explained in Exodus 32. The two accounts must be taken together to understand Moses' intent. He says there, then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Their source of drinking water would become the reminder of their sin. Each time they went there, it would be as if they were drinking it in as a reminder of what they had done to offend the Lord. Jehovah their God, their true source of life was at the top of the mountain in smoke and fire. Their false idol and the source of their shame was there at the bottom of it, drowned in the water they had to come to daily in order to drink and to stay alive. They were to remember the contrast between the two all the days that they remained at the mountain. However, Moses next reveals to them that as soon as they left the mountain, they then again forgot the Lord and they failed to respond to him in faith. Verse 22, also at Taborah, Uve Taborah, and in Taborah. Moses now continues the narrative of Israel's constant failings. In verse 9-7, he had said, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. That took them from Egypt to Sinai. In 9-8 until 9-22, he described their failings while at Sinai. Now he progresses on to the next stage of their ongoing failings, speaking first of their time just after leaving Horeb, Sinai. The departure of Israel from the mountain is recorded in Numbers chapter 10. In the turn of the page and literally one verse after their departure was explained, it says in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Without the water from the brook to remind them of their failing, they immediately began to complain once again against the Lord. In response, fire came out from the Lord against Israel, 
At that time, Moses had to intercede for them again. Here's it says in Numbers 11, then the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of that place Taborah because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. The name Taborah signifies a part of the area that they stopped at, not the name of the entire encampment. Before going forward in time from this event, Moses quickly goes back to the last event before arriving at Sinai, saying, verse 22 continues, and Masa, Uve Masa, and in Masa. This was the last stop before arrival at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. There the people complained about having no water, and so the Lord provided them with water from the rock. In other words, what we see in the first two names of this verse, Tabra and Masa, is that Mount Sinai is the center of the thought. Nothing changed in their attitude during their entire time at the sacred mountain. The receiving of the law and the cutting of the covenant with them did not change the people. With that sobering thought in mind, Moses next more precisely names the first recorded stop after leaving Sinai, saying, verse 22 continues, and Kibrot Hataava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Tabra is a part of the location named Kibrot Hataava. Not only did the outskirts of the camp complain, but all of them did, lusting after the foods they had left behind in Egypt. In response, the Lord sent them quail to feed them. But before the quail was finished, it says, the wrath of the Lord aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibrot Hata'ava, because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. The name Kibrot comes from kever, meaning a grave or a place for burial. Ha is the definite article, and Ta'ava means desire. Thus, the place means graves of the lusting. Instead of craving the source of all life, the people craved what they had left behind when they were in their bondage. Sounds like all of us, doesn't it? Ron did a marvelous job opening us today speaking about exactly that. Where are we going to put our priorities? Where are we going to fix our eyes and our thoughts? There's only one place we're going to get the information in order to do that, and that is right here. We need to stay in the Word in order to be able to do exactly what is being pictured here. It is a perfect picture, though, of us being saved by Christ and yet continually going back in our hearts and our desires, longing for the things Christ redeemed us from. For now, Moses is not yet done with his chiding of the people. After their short journey from Sinai, meaning Mount Horeb, to their arrival at the very border of the land of promise, he continues with the mournful words. Verse 23, Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you. This is the spot where, in Numbers 13, the 12 spies were sent out from to see the land and bring back a report to the people. Upon their return, they were to provide their report and then accept the word of the Lord and go forth to possess what had been promised, even since the time of Abraham. However, verse 23 continues, Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. The translation is incorrect. Instead, it says, Vatamru et pi Yehovah Elohechem, and you rebelled mouth of Yehovah your God. No command was given to go up into the land. The Lord spoke, and he expected them to simply believe. This is confirmed by the author of Hebrews saying, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. The typology is important because coming to Canaan pictures Israel coming to the time of Jesus Christ. 
He came and offered them the new covenant and eternal life. They rejected the words of his mouth. Verse 23 continues, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. The word translated as obey is shama. It means to hear and be attentive to. As this was not a command, it means you did not believe him and hearken to his voice. The typology again anticipates Christ. It is what Paul says concerning the gospel from Romans 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Israel failed to believe and hearken to the word of Christ. As far as the ongoing narrative from Moses, it is at this location that the spies, minus Joshua and Caleb, came back and gave a bad report. And it is here that the people then rebelled against the Lord. Israel's history up to the present time is recorded here in these verses. They were called as a people, and until they were given the law, they failed to have faith in the Lord. They were given the law, and during the time of the law, they failed to have faith in the Lord. Remember our text verse. Paul says that the time of the law is equated to the receiving of the law at Mount Sinai. And then they were offered Christ, symbolized by bringing the people to the very doorstep of Canaan. And yet they failed to have faith in the Lord. In that they were turned back into the wilderness, a picture of their exile for the past 2,000 years. Their entire history, both in the biblical narrative being spoken forth by Moses and in what that pictures, meaning their actual historical record, has been one of failing to have faith in the Lord. Of this list of stops, the scholar Kyle incorrectly says, The list is not arranged chronologically, but advances gradually from the smaller to the more serious forms of guilt. For Moses was seeking to sharpen the consciences of the people and to impress upon them the fact that they had been rebellious against the Lord from the very beginning, from the day that I knew you. It is not from the smaller to the more serious forms of guilt. This is certain because those infractions before the giving of the law are to be considered less serious than those after the giving of the law. And indeed, after having seen the continued glory of the Lord in the various ways he manifested himself. That's why when Jesus Christ came and they rejected him, they were very guilty because they had rejected what the law actually pointed to, Jesus. Rather, the list is not arranged solely chronologically in order to highlight the fact that the giving of the law changed nothing in the people in regard to their relationship with the Lord. This is precisely why the Lord promised the people a new covenant. Here Moses, picturing the law, is remembering the sins of the people. In the new covenant, their sins will be remembered no more. See our closing verse today. However, One cannot truly appreciate the grace of the new covenant without understanding the magnitude of the burden of sin in man, both apart from the law and even more especially because of the law. Without the Christ covenant, only sin and rebellion are remembered. Verse 24, you have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. The Hebrew says, im, with, rebellious you have been with Jehovah. Same thing as we saw last week. It is a reflection of the name Israel, or he strives with God. They can strive with God for God, or they can strive with God against God. In this case, it is against. From their calling as a people out of the bondage of Egypt, they have remained rebellious against the Lord and against the law that the Lord has given them. 
As Israel is simply a template for the individual person called by the Lord, it is prudent that we don't point our fingers too accusingly at them. Even on the best of days, when we direct our hearts to the Lord in the most heartfelt manner that we can, we still fall short of giving him all of who we are. There is always a streak of rebellion in our hearts. With his snapshot of their history stated, Moses now returns to the thought of verse 18 after a short poetic break. The Lord has covenanted with you and will never forget. Even when you stray away, he will fulfill every promise you can bet and will bring you to himself some glorious day. And this, despite yourself, so he is revealed. And he will continue to save because he has spoken. When you believed by faith, the deal was sealed. He has given you his spirit as a sure token. And so, let us live for the Lord, remembering him always. And let us not forget the great things he has done. Let us live for the Lord for all of our days. For God in Christ has given us his Son. Great is the Lord and worthy of all praise. Great is our God. Let us honor him for all of our days. Our second thought today, your people and your inheritance. It's verses 25 through 29. This may be one of the most important passages in all of the Bible concerning whether the church replaced Israel or not. Verse 25, thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. That this is a repetition of the thought of verse 18 as seen in the words he will say in the next verse. Moses was on the mountain with the Lord, receiving the tablets and the instructions for the tabernacle and priestly service. While there, the people made the golden calf and they celebrated. It was at that time while he was on the mountain that we read, and the Lord said to Moses, go, get down for your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. In response to the Lord's words, Moses petitioned the Lord for the people. The Lord relented, as we saw earlier in this sermon, and Moses went down the mountain to see what the Lord had described concerning their behavior. Once down, he cast the tablets out of his hands, destroyed the golden calf, had the Levites go through the camp to destroy those who participated, and so on. Eventually, he went back up the mountain with two new tablets. That's from Exodus 34, 1 and Deuteronomy 10, verse 1, and fell before the Lord as he did before going down the mountain. This was, again, for 40 days and 40 nights. That's Exodus 34, 28. With this timeline understood, Moses now substantially repeats what he had said before going down the mountain. Verse 26, therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, as we just saw, Moses had petitioned the Lord before coming down, and the Lord relented concerning destroying the people. That's verse 32, 14 from Exodus. As this is so, why would Moses need to petition the Lord to not destroy the people? The answer is then found in Exodus 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. 
and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up in your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. In other words, Moses had stayed the wrath of the Lord concerning the destruction of Israel for the sin of the golden calf. However, the Lord had not relented concerning the complete destruction of Israel for some other future offense. Does everybody see that? It was Moses' petitioning of the Lord now which forever secured them from total destruction. That is seen in the renewal of the covenant in the words of Exodus 34 during this 40-day period. Here's what it says there. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And he said, behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Is that not true to this day? To this day, we are seeing the awesome work of the Lord through the rebellious people who still have not acknowledged who he is. He made that promise and it will stand forever. We'll continue and you'll see this. Verse 26, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. In verse 912, the Lord said to Moses, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. Moses got it. He understood that even after receiving the Ten Commandments and beholding the splendor and terror of the Lord, it was not enough to keep Israel from disobeying him. In that state, he could at any time disinherit them and stretch out his hand and destroy them. And so Moses says to Jehovah, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Moses put it right back in the face of the Lord. In this petition, he mirrors his words previously spoken while on the mountain. But this petition goes beyond anything stated before. This is because they have not yet done anything else wrong. The Lord had relented from destroying them because of the calf, but he had also threatened he might destroy them for a future infraction. Knowing this, Moses is asking for the Lord to state in advance and without any possibility of changing his mind that he will never utterly destroy Israel. And Moses received that guarantee. The Lord will lead them into the promise and he will be their people. In fact, he later codified it into the written law, Leviticus 26. When somebody asks me about did the church replace Israel? 
This is the passage I send them to right here. Leviticus 26. It is codified into the law. If you want to see bad analysis, watch people's sermons on this that skip over the most important part of this little portion of Leviticus 26. They completely skip over it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and watch the third of the three Leviticus 26 sermons and you will understand. And before I go on, remember, this is speaking of Israel's eternal security. It is a pattern and a type of your eternal security. Three times in the past week, I have been emailed about people asking, is salvation forever or not? And I always send them the sermon that I did on it. Once saved, always saved, or not so. And they always come back with the same question. What if somebody willingly walks away from the Lord? Irrelevant. Israel has willingly walked away from the Lord for 2,000 years. It is irrelevant. God has covenanted. It doesn't matter what we do. God will never break his side of the covenant. He shed his blood, Jesus Christ, for our sins. If he reneges on that covenant, even if we walk away from it, then he has failed in what he did. And he has sealed us with his spirit, showing that he is incapable of telling the future, or he knows the future and he seals us anyways, hence making a mistake. Everybody see the logic? This is how important this passage is right here. It affects our understanding of the world at large with the nation of Israel in it affects our understanding of our own salvation. From Leviticus 26, yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. Just a verse before this passage I'm reading right now, he appealed to Abraham. And everybody says, well, we're sons of Abraham. Paul says so. And so they say, the church has replaced Israel. Well, guess what? We didn't come out of Egypt. The people of Israel came out of Egypt. He first went to Abraham, and then he made sure that we wouldn't make the theological error of saying the church has replaced Israel. And so he says, but for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. Only Israel came out. Everybody got that? In the sight of the nations that I might be their God, I am the Lord. Moses appealed to the Lord in this verse for the people whom you have brought out of Egypt. The Lord repeats that when he speaks of Israel, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. Israel would stand forever, even in their rejection of the Lord, because the Lord spoke that it would be so. You are saved forever because the Lord covenanted with you in his own shed blood. This is the glory of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It is grace that extends even to the complete turning away from him by his people. He has covenanted and he will perform. It has taken almost an entire sermon to get to this, but this is one of the major points of the entire passage. Israel is guaranteed to always remain a people before the Lord, even when they are not his people. This is so that he might be their God. Jehovah has spoken. It is and it shall be despite the conduct of the people. And this came about not because of their righteousness nor because of their goodness. This is because as Moses acknowledges, that is totally lacking in them. Rather, verse 27, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin. In this verse is a noun found only here in the Bible, keshi, or stubbornness. 
Moses' appeal is, as has been seen again and again, based on the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise was made, and it could not be revoked. But the Lord promised to destroy the people and to accomplish it through Moses. Moses instead petitioned for all of the people, his own stubborn, wicked family. But more, Moses petitions this because even if the Lord established the promise through him, the people of Egypt might misunderstand. Moses' petition then is truly for his people, but it is more especially for the honor of the Lord. As he says, verse 28, lest the land from which you brought us should say. Here the land is referred to as the people of the land. It is a poetic way of conveying the thought where he uses the singular word land, but the verb translated as should say is plural. And their words, verse 28 continues, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. It is a double attack, first against the ability of the Lord, and secondly, because of the relationship between the Lord and the people. Just as an inability to bring them into the good land he promised would mean that he was not the true God, so hating his people would be contrary to his initial choice of redeeming them. In such fickleness, it would, again, mean that he was not the true God. Moses' words here are similar to what he will refer to later in the Song of Moses concerning the Lord's annihilation of Israel. Deuteronomy 32. I would have said, I will dash them in pieces. I will make the memory of them to cease from among men. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is high, and it is not the Lord who has done all of this. The honor of the Lord, even to this day, 2020, December of 2020, in human history, is tied up in the preservation of Israel. How people in the church cannot see this is literally astonishing. It shows that they are untrained in the word, unschooled in proper theology, and they have no understanding of the nature of God nor of his covenant promises. It is exactly why people teach and believe that salvation can be lost. What a miserable state we are in when we cannot rightly discern these things from passages that are so clear and so obvious. Yes, there is difficulty in the study, but I'll tell you something. Proper theology is, after all, hard work. For now, Moses continues, verse 29, yet they are your people and your inheritance. The words are precise and they are specific. And further, they are often repeated in Scripture. Israel is the Lord's inheritance. That did not change, nor has it gone from a literal body to a spiritual body. Rather, they remain so. Paul says as much in the book of Ephesians, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Believing Gentiles are brought into the commonwealth of Israel, even if Israel is temporarily excluded from those covenant promises. It is because of disobedience and punishment, not because of rejection. Understanding this, Moses says, verse 29, finishing with, whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. 
the final words of Moses for the passage as he lay there before the Lord and which he repeats now to the people before him is that Israel had nothing to do with being brought out. They were weak. He was strong. They were hemmed in. He stretched out his arm. They could not boast in their freeing themselves. And Moses' words of the entire passage show that they could not boast that the Lord did this because they were great, righteous, deserving, or better than any others. All of those and any other positives that they could lie about to themselves, about themselves, are shown to be false. The honor of the events, the glory of what has transpired, and the majesty of the unfolding redemptive narrative belongs solely to the Lord. With that understood, and again remembering that Israel is a template or a pattern of the individual believer, we must remember and we must never forget that our salvation how the events came about, the glory of what transpired, and the majesty of including us in the redemptive narrative belongs solely to the Lord. He did the work, and all Israel had to do was to follow. He did the work, and all we have to do is believe. No credit belongs to us for the things we have received. Rather, all of the credit, the praise, the marvel, all of it, is to be directed to the one who sits on heaven's throne and who is willing to come and redeem us from the land of bondage and toil. Praise God for Jesus Christ. If you've never called on Jesus Christ, I would ask you today to consider what he has done in and through redemptive history. He saved that people, that rebellious, stubborn, stiff-necked group of people that did the most abominable things in his presence after they saw his presence, after their high priest had gone up and had a meal with the people in the presence of the Lord. They saw his glory, and yet he, just a short time later, was down at the bottom of the mountain putting together a golden idol that they could bow down to and worship, okay? And they called it the Lord. They called it the Lord. Now, the idea is that if they did these things, whatever you have done in your life, if you feel so far away from God that he could never save you or never forgive you, you are wrong, It doesn't matter what you have done. His grace will cover it if you simply believe and trust him. King David, the great King David, committed adultery and he had a person murdered. I'm sure that most people here have never had anybody murdered, but if they did, they are saved. They will not be rejected if they come to Jesus Christ by faith. This is what he offers you. This is what we're going to be talking about next week in our Christmas sermon, that God himself loves the world enough to come out of the infinite realm and unite with the finite in order to redeem us back to himself. He is the focal point between the finite and the infinite. He is our Lord. He is our God. He is Jesus. Call on him today. I got a closing verse from Hebrews 8. For if that, this is kind of the same closing verse that I've had a couple times in other sermons in this area, but they were from Jeremiah 31, okay? He's citing that here. For if that covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Remember who he just spoke to. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. We participate in that as Gentiles, but it was not made with us. It was made with this group of people who he has promised to save. Next week is Luke chapter 1, these things that are fulfilled among us. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you, but he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? I've got a poem. You can either get a Maserati to drive home, or I'll take you in this YF-22 if you can answer this, okay? Where is it explicitly stated, explicitly stated that Israel will never cease from being a nation before the Lord? I want the book and chapter. Jeremiah 31. What do you want? You want both this week? She keeps getting these. I'm talking about Scholar City here. Okay. Um, I'm going to read that to you. I think I got it on my, now I'll just go right here. Boy, I'm telling you what, this lady, this is, this, this lady knows her Bible. Yeah, just amazing. Okay, you keep, uh, keep doing this and you're going to, you'll own all of my vehicles. Um, Jeremiah 31, and it comes to uh, verse 35. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, meaning the sun and the moon and those things, if those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. It will never happen I feel sorry for people that believe that they have replaced Israel and that he has rejected them. How unsure is their footing in their own theology? Because it leads them to directly to crazy theology like Calvinism, like Wesleyanism. You can lose your salvation or you don't have any choice in your salvation. You are regenerated by the Lord in order to believe. None of that fits the typology of what we've been going through. And it's because they are unschooled in theology. They skipped the Torah the foundation of the faith. That's why we've been doing these books. Oh, let's let's skip Leviticus. We finished Leviticus and Jim is over there almost crying. I can't believe it's over. I don't want it to end. Well, Jim's not here, but I'm saying the day it happened. It's because it's important and it's because it points to Jesus. It points to the relationship that God has with you and me. That's how important this is. How can people understand Jesus without understanding the foundation? Got a poem here for you. 40 days and 40 nights before the Lord. Another thing, I was asked yesterday if I was a dispensationalist at lunch. And I said, oh yeah, I'm a dispensationalist, all right. Why? Because the Torah shows us dispensations. They're right there. We're seeing of the dispensation of grace, the dispensation of the promise, the dispensation of the law. We don't get into crazy stuff like hyper-dispensationalism where all of a sudden you have two covenants, one for Israel and one for the church. We don't do that. That's a heresy. Got to keep things in context. Okay, and I fell down before the Lord in an emotional outburst, 40 days and 40 nights as at the first. 
I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed on that day in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger in that way. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you, as you know, to destroy you, which he could do. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him for his crime. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small. So that calf was ended until it was fine as dust. And I threw it dust in the brook that from the mountain descended. Also at Tabron, Masan, Kibrot Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. So you did do. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea saying, go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. Such was your choice. And you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord. It is true from the day that I knew you. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord. Forty days and forty nights I kept prostrating myself as if dead because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed a deed so grand through your greatness whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people. Let it not be this way or on their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land, which he promised them that would only cause a huge mess. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out safe from Egypt's harm by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for forgiving us of the things that we have done, are doing, and continue to do in our lives. Despite ourselves, you continue to save us because you have covenanted with us. Yes, we have with you, but we're the faithless party. You're the faithful party. Thank you for your faithfulness, O oh God, in Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious and beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. I guess the lesson for today's sermon is read your Bible. Now, I admit that was a confusing sermon. You've got to go back and forth, and you'll probably read it five times before you get all of it. And it was difficult for me because a lot of scholars have the timeline all wrong, and you have to weed through all of it, and you have to go back. But I'm telling you that the Lord is so wonderful, and he is so faithful. He's so good to us. Sermon typing is debilitating. I don't go upstairs usually after I'm done. I just fall asleep on the couch. But it is the most rewarding thing. It is the sweetest thing in my life to sit there and evaluate this precious word.